2: Today's show is brought to you by Drip Drop, which is an electrolyte powder developed by a doctor to treat dehydration. This stuff is absolutely incredible. So just mix it with water. It works fast. It tastes amazing. Do it before a run, workout. I've been doing it after a sauna recently. It is so, so good. I highly encourage you to check it out at dripdrop.com and use the code WORDS, W O R D S, to get 20% off any purchase. I can't endorse this stuff highly enough. It's the best. Go to dripdrop.com and use the code WORDS to get 20% off any purchase. Try it now. Support for today's show comes from the Life is Good Ping Podcast. Join the co founders of Life is Good, Bert and John Jacobs, as they talk to influential musicians, athletes, business leaders, and everyday people about the role of optimism in their lives. Who doesn't need more optimism? They'll also end each episode with a ping pong charity challenge where the winner gets to donate to their charity of choice. Go to the Life is Good Ping Podcast. That is launched on any podcast catcher you use. And their first guest was Ringo Starr, unbelievable. So subscribe now on Stitcher, Spotify, or iTunes and add some good vibes to your day. Now, here's the show. Hello everybody, how are you doing today? I am Ray Harkins, hanging out with you on this beautiful Wednesday in August. Today's a very special day, because this is the seventh anniversary of this podcast. We're 364 episodes in. It blows my mind that I've been able to do it as long as I have, and it's, uh, it's thanks to you, the listener, because you know you, uh, you keep downloading this thing, and it keeps getting more and more popular. And uh, I just, I don't know, I feel very thankful. But I also am thankful to our guest, because our guest this week is John dyer Basley from the band Baroness. I love Baroness so much. I have watched their trajectory for quite some time. Musically, they're incredible. Artistic wise, like he's—I mean—an unbelievable visual artist has done all of their record covers, and he's done so many amazing record covers for so many bands. I've always wanted him on the show, uh, but frankly, just didn't really, you know, have any kind of connections into him via, um, you know, friends. Like we have mutual friends, but not to the extent where I would bug them to have John come on the show. But uh, my publicist friend, Monica, was working their new record and I was like, can we please make this happen? She said, yes, and I love it. So that's what we did. But um, let's let's slow down for a moment. This show has changed my life in so many different ways. And um, the fact that I've been able to make friendships and I've been able to, um, yeah, I mean, frankly, make money off this thing too, and also to be able to be a lifeline to many people who Frankly, don't feel either, you know, as up to date with like the newest bands or are able to go to as many shows as they used to. This uh this podcast has served as a touch point for them and I know many others because uh yeah, I get emails. You know, you can email the show, 100 words podcast at gmail.com. But I'm just really thankful that I can create real relationships with people, you know, as they consume this podcast and consume these people's stories, because it's incredibly important to me to document this whole music scene and make sure that people understand the importance of it, not only to me and the guest, but to the, you know, punk, hardcore, independent music world, uh, you know, from a wider perspective. And I just, uh, I feel so, so thankful to be do the, able to do this week over week and have you pay attention to it. So thank you, the listener. And you'll also notice we have a new theme song done by my friend. His name is Eugene Kim, but uh, he pens songs underneath the name Doom and Plume. And so, uh, yeah, we, him and I corresponded with each other for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, kind of honing and uh, you know telling him my vision of what I would like the song to sound like because, you know, I like to change it up after a while because we've had uh, lowercase noises for those of you that have followed the show for a while. That was the theme song for the past uh, about three years or so, and um, I wanted to change it up. So that's what we got, Doom and Plume. So you can listen to that for the next, I don't know, year, two years, maybe even longer. So also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this show so that way you are kept up to date with all of the recent happenings and comings and goings of the show. Uh, And frankly, just tell your friends, because that's uh, the most powerful thing that we can all do to spread this stuff. Um, Before we get into the show and my chat with uh, John Dyer-Baisley, my son is here. He's just watching me record this. You can say hi, Raymond. Hi. Yep, he's in the background. But uh, this is also a, um, you know, it's special for me to be able to share this, this stuff with my son, because... He likes music. He likes a very different style of music than what we feature here. But uh, just his passion for it, it makes me really happy. And I think that's what all of us need to foster with not only, you know, if we have kids or with our friends and family, just make sure that they're passionate about music in some capacity because this thing is so life-giving. So anyways, let's talk to John, okay? Now here's So I'm going to take it back to probably about uh, 2005. I saw you at, uh, the fest at the Atlantic, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and witnessing kind of the, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a punk and hardcore kid, so that's my roots. And anytime, you know, I see a band that starts to kind of bring all of those different disparate audiences together. I'm like, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's always exciting. Um, and then especially when you can obviously introduce, you know, the, uh, the, the, metal kids into the element as well. Um, I really noticed it at that, right. at that particular show, um, I presume that that was kind of um, not the plan per se, but like, did you find that sort of initial groundswell of support coming from those particular scenes more than anything else?
3: Yes, probably simply by virtue of the fact that that was you know that was the that was the scene we were you know we were we were in we were involved in a, a, you know as as you know just as kids like we were, we were we were friends we came up in you know the the punk hardcore community. Uh, albeit, you know, when we were younger, it was, it was in a very rural, rural area. Uh, And then when, uh, you know, around, um, let's see 2000, you know, between 2000, 2011, I lived in Savannah, Georgia. And, you know, that, that was, that town had a very, you know, had a very unique, very active, uh, punk and hardcore community, uh, because geographically we were located off of all the major tour routings, so when, you know, around, around between 2000, 2005, really, like we were, you know, we and a few other, the you know, very small number of other bands that were uh, around in Savannah, Georgia, we were, we, if we wanted to see shows, if we wanted to play shows in Savannah, we basically had to book them. And so our interest, you know, our, our interest in in you know like crust punk hardcore uh, metal and all, you know all thing all this sort of stuff that was below marquee level like we were bringing that sort of stuff into town and and I'm talking about only one there were two there were basically two venues there was a um, a venue called 2424 which was a DIY space that our roadie uh, now uh, now artist my artist friend Jeremy Hush ran, and then there was a, a club, more proper club, but it was just sort of lo- the local punk place, punk club, you know, where we hung out called The Jinx. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, that's really where everything happens, where we wrote, uh, that's where we wrote, you know, the majority of our early material. Uh, it's where we worked, it's where we saw shows, where we hung out, and it's where, you know, it's where I came to understand how the community worked, uh, you know, in a pragmatic sense uh, so that when the band was ready to tour, we were, uh, we were at least in, you know, in for, in we, we had a, we had a, you know, a, a national network of friends. Uh, we had an understanding on the fine points of running a, sh- you know, operating a show without, uh, you know, without professionals around, you know, we, we knew how to set up PAs. We knew how to, you know, work our equipment and we knew how to flyer. We know how to book shows. We know how to print merch. We know how to, Uh, you know, get ourselves where we needed to go. I mean, it was, it really was like just more because, because, you know, I I realized that Baroness wasn't really a punk band. We weren't really, we weren't really a metal band. We weren't really anything uh, stylistically, but we were friends with those. We were friend friendly in those scenes. And that was, you know, that, that was sort of our bread and butter. So, um, you know, so when it, when, when we started touring it, you know, everything was DIY. It was like subsistence living, you know, whatever you, whatever you're up to on Monday, you need to, you know, you need to make just enough money to get through Tuesday. And on Tuesday, you need to make just enough to get through Wednesday. Cause we were doing like, you know, 250 shows to, I think, I think we maxed out in 2004, I think we did 275 shows. Right. And by shows, I mean, basements, BFW halls, uh, you know, like dive bars that would have us. Uh, you know, we, so everywhere from, you know, like skate parks to shooting galleries. I mean, we just saw the worst, the best and the worst of America, uh, you know, on repeat continually for, for years and years and years. And that community was really important to me. It, you know, and as we grew and as we grew out of the you know, those perceived genre or style boundary lines, it was you know which which i never recognized or identified with to begin with mm-hmm. um we had developed an operating you know uh like an operating mechanism or, or a way of you know modus operandi that 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 i still recognize as being both present in the way we do things now, but critical for the way, you know, for, for the growth and development of this band. And it's something that I recognize in, in in people who have shared experience. If they have that shared experience, it's just one of those things. When you meet somebody who's come up that way, you know it immediately. And when you meet more, more obviously when you meet somebody who hasn't come up that way, it's, it's, it's very apparent. Uh, And that, you know, that comes down to, you know, this, this like mentality that, that sometimes exists when bands start and they think, I need a booking agent. I need a manager. I need this that, and the other thing to get my band. And you know, kids ask me for advice. And you know, what what do I do to start a band? You know, or, or I've got a band. What do we do to get out there and make it? And I'm usually just like, uh, well, don't hire anybody until you need them. But more importantly, write. You know, just write good songs and figure out figure out every aspect and every angle of the shows that you're putting on. If you can, if you know how to do that. You'll have respect for the people ultimately that will do it for you. Uh, you will you will understand the amount the sheer amount of work the volume of work that goes into uh, putting on a show, making a record, booking a tour, and you know you you are I, I think by virtue of that fact you are able to move more smoothly in this you know community of music that you know, from the DIY level up to the, you know, up the mainstream, there are systems in place that make it very difficult for we as musicians to, you know, just to get by. Uh, but if you, if you understand the system uh, from the inside out on a fundamental level, then you're better equipped to uh, know when, you know, when and where you're being taken advantage of and how to, you know, how to get yourself out of sticky situations. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, Let me boil it down to this. Mm. Every lesson that I've ever learned, I've learned the hard way. And because I learned it the hard way, the lesson stuck.
2: Right. (laughs) Totally, totally. And to your point, uh, you know, pulling one thread there uh, that you were talking about was the... um, I've always compared Athens to uh, you know Memphis in many different ways. Obviously, bands like you know His Hero's Gone, you know Man with Gun, all that whole scene that did the same exact thing of what you were talking about, where it's like no one played Memphis from a you know DIY level, so you had to bring bands in in order to kind of build, like you said, that connective tissue. The idea of just like because I mean it's yeah. not like it's not like they you guys were <laughs> sitting back and being like, oh, we're really learning business principles here. You're just like, well, no, we got to put out a demo.
3: So no, 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 yeah. no, <laughs> exactly. In fact, I think we were avoiding business principles because we have so. You know, this is this is just a problem of youth. I think you, we were avoiding or eschewing the the idea of business and music because based on our experience, in punk, it is it, it seemed it seemed a thing that was demonized and the thing that was uh, a negative. You know, like always a negative can't be a positive. But you, you know, let let's be real. Like that's a that's a young that's a younger attitude on things, and it doesn't always it, it doesn't it's just realistically that's that's not what's happening. Like y- you just bought dinner, that was a financial transaction. You just right. had to fill your tank with gas, another tr- financial transaction. You just stayed on somebody's floor. Well, you just traded commodity, in right? A, <laughs> yeah. You know, in, yeah, in, in in a way. And so you know, at the end of the day, you it, it's all this for that. And it's happening constantly. And, you know, more importantly, as you learn that, you know, you learn how to do it where you're in such a way that you're not stepping on somebody else or you're not, you know, uh, making advantageous moves for yourself that negatively affect of those around you in the best case scenario that, you know, the, the DIY community taught me how, as a community, we can all help each other out, and we can all grow simultaneously and in tandem. And when that happens, that you know, that warms my heart. That that brings a great, you know, makes it puts a smile on my face. And yes, when when you know when you've got a when you've got a scene that's that's got nothing, well, you got nothing to lose. So you just build and you build and you build. And in, in the case of Savannah, we uh, we built something kind of strange and something that people outside of our locale were recognizing as. Having this, you know, particular sound or, you know, just like a particular attitude, we never really identified with that. And that was just being talked about around us so frequently that you couldn't ignore it. But there was, you know, it's not like we had. There was like the Savannah, you know, sludge psychedelic sludge (laughs) metal, you know, doom music consortium. We didn't. There there wasn't. We didn't. We didn't have meetings and discuss, you know, how things were going to work. We just didn't have any. We we didn't have like elders to to copy, so we just invented the rule book. And the rule book, when it worked, that that became how things were going to be. And when it didn't, then you know, lesson learned, move on, do do it differently next time.
2: Today's show is brought to you by, frankly, one of my favorite sponsors of all time, Sonos. It is the unbelievable speaker company that designs every speaker from the inside out. So what is it? You've probably heard me speak about it before, but if you haven't, it is unbelievable what they do. So you can order whatever it is on Sonos.com that you're interested in, you can plug it in, and in less than five minutes you are ready to play whatever music you are looking to play over the speakers in your house. You can have one in the bedroom, you can have one in the living room, and they can all play different music all from the Sonos app. It's awesome. So last night, as an example, my son was having a difficult time falling asleep. Put in some bony bear for him to listen to and fall asleep. And then I could listen to some different music in the bedroom. It is the best. And it is so easy to set up. So I highly, highly encourage you to go to Sonos.com and check out all of their product features because it's, like I said, it's the best speaker that I have ever heard. And they also have this awesome, awesome thing called, it's like True Tune, True Play, that's what it's called. And you can set up every single room where you walk around with your phone, use the microphone, make sure that that speaker is calibrated perfectly to the room that you are setting it up in. This stuff is unbelievable. Sonos is a superior listening mechanism for all of your music. So go to Sonos.com to learn more. I love you, Sonos. And kind of on that same line was the... um you know, where where was the kind of intro to that whole, you know, DIY independent scene? You know, I'm presuming that, you know, as you were kind of coming up in high school, that's kind of when things started to get introduced to you and and injected into your, um, you know, ecosystem. Uh, Was that the case? Or was that, you know, were you uh, going to record stores? Was it, you know, the skate culture? How did that introduce itself to you?
3: Well, the the thing you have to understand is that where where I you know, where I grew up and where l you know, Baroness Mark One, two, three, four, and five, uh we we were we all grew up in uh uh in and around a small a very, very small town in uh Virginia called Lexington, mm-hmm. which uh I think of you know, population's anywhere between 2,500 and 5,000, depending on whether or not, the, the universities were in session, but you know, we were, we, li- we were, we were local kids. We lived in the County and, um, there are, there was, it was a record store, but it was like, you know, it's where you went to buy and use Grateful Dead CDs that, or Dave Matthews. It wasn't really like a record store that appealed to me. So we didn't have a record store. Uh, Nirvana broke at the right time for me. And that was my access point. Like MTV taught me more than just about anything. So through Nirvana, I found the Melvins. I found Dinosaur Jr. I found Sonic Youth. I found K Records. I found, uh, you know, then uh, you know, then it just it just, it's spread out to, uh, you know, the roots of punk and, you know, then I'm listening to like, you know, 77 style punk, 82 style punk, you know, the English stuff, the, then you go like the Eastern European stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're trading tapes, you're, you're buying, uh, you know, seven inches and everything like that. Everything's mail order. You know, we're, we're just like, you know, we're just a bunch of kids in the country, we don't understand we don't understand any of the scenes at all because we don't live in them. Right. So the cultural context is completely lost on us. So we develop, you know, even in Virginia, we developed this unique thing. Uh, then when I was in Savannah, you know, there was already a, you know, sort of a thing that was happening down there. And we just kind of inserted ourselves into it and it you know, it just kind of grew in a really weird way. Like my thought was always, you know, like, uh, uh, the, the appeal of this whole thing is, you know, ostensibly that you are, you get to be your own person. And I always identified my, myself as an artist or, or as a creative person, not as a musician, not certainly not as a punk or a metal guy or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. You know, in fact, I, even, even to this day, I, you know, I still find that there's very many times where I'm not accepted with fully open arms into, into these, into these little like clubs. And that that's, fine. That's what I'm used to. You know, I grew up, you know, I grew up in a, in a rural place where, you know, most of everybody that I knew was, you know, was, was like more on the countryside of things. And there had a lot of rednecks and a lot of, a lot of intolerant attitudes and a lot of, uh, you know, clicks and stuff like that in, in that way. And so for me being an outsider was always kind of the important part of it. It was like, yeah, of course. So to have continually been an outsider always felt like a natural thing to me, even insofar as, you know, where we sit today, and, you know, I, I, I think people, myself included, have a very hard time exactly defining what baroness is. Like, where do we fit in the grand scheme of things? Like you'd be, at this point, you'd never ever call us a punk band, right. uh, loosely, you know, loosely associated with metal. But I don't think, I, I think calling us a metal band sort of does disservice to metal bands. Uh, but neither are we an indie rock band or a pop band or a radio rock band. There's sort of like none of these things, you know, yeah. um, so, like being on the outside, I think is has always been a big part, has played a big role in in my uh, development as as an as an artist and as a musician. Uh, it's certainly where I've learned to feel most comfortable, um, you know, for better for better for worse. But I think you know, I think it's also forced my hand to you know to develop something that. Uh, you know, if I'm going to make a community, it's going to be a really small one. It's going to be me and my, the musicians I play with, the crew that we have, and you know the people that we work, the, art, the artists that we work with. And that's that's the you know that's the crew, that's the scene. So it's just it's just part of the project. You know, rather than uh, rather than you know like like identifying as part of the hardcore scene, where then you have to play by hardcore scene rules, or you know identifying as pop country, and then yeah, you got to be a pop country guy, like. For me, it's better to just beg, borrow, and steal what you want because at the end of the day, it's self-expression. So it's supposed to be unique. It's supposed to be different, and sometimes it's supposed to be something that people don't quite understand. Yeah, Uh, and that's my my most valuable experiences in music have been with bands that push push those boundaries and offer alternative uh, offer more interesting alternatives to you know the current status quo um you know and i saw that i saw that in a lot of events that were influential on me when i was younger Bands like fugazi who you know set a very different standard you know it was yeah you you know talking about it's one thing but doing it's a different you know is different so i'm i'm kind of like at this point i fall more on the on the side of you know actions do in fact speak louder than words and if you're gonna you know if you've got a point to prove get out there and prove it you know sure don't waste don't waste time talking just like prove it and that seems to have a better impact on uh you know the audience that needs it anyway because then there's this other thing that happened i'm sorry i'm just kind of running no i love that it keep going um, yeah <laughs> uh I, you know, I felt as, as we, there were certain points when, you know, uh, certain developmental stages at the point, you know, with Baroness where I felt that each night we would go on a stage and I could look out in the audience and I pretty much knew them. You know, I pretty much know everybody that's there. Sure. If I don't know them specifically by name. I know where they come from, you know, to a certain degree. not I'm not claiming that I'm like a crowd whisper or anything like that. it's right, right, right. just to say that, like, you know, if you're playing, if if you're a black metal band and you're playing a show and everybody's in corpse paint and got studs, you know, poking out of their wrists and, you know, all, all the whole nine yards, like you're not telling anybody anything about Satan that they haven't already heard. So if you're, if you've got a message that you're trying to put out there, if you've got something that you think is interesting enough that it's worth hearing, why wouldn't you try to reach the people who want, you know, who haven't heard that yet? And try to make an impact on them and i'm not talking about being a black metal band or in a satan or anything like that but uh you know for me it's like the diy community was so important and the idea of self-sufficiency self-proficiency uh you know quality over quantity bucking the system uh questioning the status quo always asking yourself why and you know most importantly for a band like this where i don't think we have a you know a an outward political agenda or social agenda, uh, but more, more creative and personal one. Like if, if, you know, if music is about the human experience. If, if it's about self-expression, if it's about communicating in a nonverbal way from our, from, you know, from our speakers and our stage to their own, our audience's ears, and then to receive the input that they, you know, whether it's energy or, or applause or dancing or, or, singing singing and calling, like, that's what's important to me. And to reach people who haven't quite gotten that phone call yet, that seems the more interesting thing. So then it's like, should we be so ambitious and so presumptuous that we think we can make a difference from the inside out? And I think in more recent years, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, I think, I think it's more fun and more engaging for us when we're putting ourselves in, in situations where we don't understand that well. And see, you know, because more work for us, we have to prove our value in a more substantive way Uh, and we've got, you know, and we have to put ourselves up against the world's greatest bullshit detector, which is the crowd, you know, the, the idea of a crowd, the idea of a crowd has never heard you. They are going to immediately give you every visible emotional energy clue that you can possibly receive about whether or not you're doing a good job or not. And, you know, that kind of stuff, as I said, more recently has been you know of interest to me because I don't want to end up you know, a musician playing to the same crowd time and time again, where they're just, you know, judging this performance against the last. But I want to create compelling, unique experiences where, you know, occasionally somebody who's never thought they were going to be interested in, you know, the sort of music that we play or the sort of shows that we're involved with is all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, we is all of a sudden enraptured by, and, and, you know, we've caught their attention. And then, and then we're doing something, you know, then we're doing something new, something we don't have control over. In fact, it's more, it's more about their involvement, uh, than rather than our like proficiency or precision, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, to your point, it's one of those things where it's more valuable, uh, like you were saying to be. On you know on the quote unquote inside existing within the sort of you know structure of the music business as it were, but to to what you were saying, you are now a a gateway band where people that have no context for everything from a foundational perspective that is important to you, like the whole DIY culture and not even removing genres, just DIY in general. And like you can send people down a rabbit hole in ways that, you know, like you can just by the mention of Fugazi in this interview, you could get a person who has no clue who that band is. And then all of a sudden open their eyes up and open their world up in ways that you wouldn't have been able to do if you just existed within the confines of, you know, Know, these really, really small and secular scenes or whatever.
3: Yeah, precisely. And, you know, because it's, it is that it's, 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 you mean, you know, it's, it's the idea of confines. It's the idea of secularism and, and, uh, you know, invisible boundaries that I I would like to think that we can provide an alternative to, uh, you know, I, I have found that there are, there is a, there is really, you know, some interest out there in, in, in certain types of bands and being exclusive. I don't, I don't quite understand it other than maybe, you know, it, it allows a scene to feel important and, like, like us against the world sort of thing. But, but you're like, why would you create that system yourself? Why would you, why would you create an exclusive system just for, you know, just on the basis of, you know, a fight or something like, like it's, it's complete nonsense to me. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's low hanging fruit. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to do that more difficult is becoming an inclusive band in a way that doesn't sacrifice your creative integrity or your, uh, you know, artistic mores. And that's, 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 you know, that's what we really always been on about. Sure. The, core, the yeah, the, know, core, the kinda, core values kinda are just, intact. I kind of don't care if we're successful or not. I, mean, I just want to try. It's a, you know, <laughs> but I'm a process guy. So the process is, you know, almost always trumps the, you know the the effect or the output or the you know how how things shake out. Like, why not have high? Why not have a high set of standards? Why not be ambitious? Why not set impossible goals? At least when you fail, you can go. Eh, it was never realistic to begin with. Right. And you know, <laughs> when you succeed, you can go. Well, that's an honest, honest success. I I didn't expect did that. that. Yeah, you know, that was work. We uh, I didn't expect that. and We did that through sheer willpower or something.
2: Yeah. No, no, it's it's a very good point. I mean, I think that's why you can, uh, you know, the the, the fan base that exists for bands like, you know, you guys, Neurosis, and the, you know, there's of course like flirtations with a, not even just flirtations, but just success on a larger stage in different increments of the, of, you know, bands like you guys and and their career and and many others. But when you are still fundamentally the, um, you know, same principled uh, band and not even like principled like you know you're getting on a soapbox and being like everybody needs to be this way because that's clearly what you're not trying to do but you have right. you have fans that can follow you at every iteration of your sound and still understand that at the core it's like well yeah it's, it's still baroness like yeah it doesn't sound anything like their, their right. previous records but like I, I understand where they're coming from
3: yeah, yeah, and but, you know, and and any any time I've ever caught in any caught any sort of flack for you know that that sort of like seismic shift that we that we really work for you know in between each record, uh, you know when there's when there's kickback from that, first off I accept it, you know that's part of that's the risk reward uh, calculation that you make. Well, we're gonna you know probably gonna have to break a few eggs to make this omelet, so to speak. Um, and that's, you know, that's going to, it may, you know, you do everything at the risk of maybe, uh, of affecting the, you know, offending the sensibility of those people who've supported us. But also for any of our fans who are like, you know, not feeling the direction, it's like, well, you, you did see that coming, right? Right. Like this, <laughs> we telegraphed this a little, little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's a, this is the common thread. That is the common thread. It's not, you know, our batting average is never going to be a thousand. Right. Uh, we're trying, you know, we, we try, but, but our, you know, creatively our, our goal in writing is to create music that we want to hear that, you know, like, and I've said this before, I'm just writing music that I wish somebody else had written before me. Cause it, it ain't easy to play. It's right. very difficult to come about. Uh, and you know, oftentimes because because of the concept and the you know the the content of uh, of our music, it's man, it's really dark. It's it's not it's not like I'm writing these songs because I love to focus on you know my deficiencies and the things that I struggle with and my anxieties and my depressions and my aches and pains. I don't love that. I do it because I don't have a better way of dealing with them. And, and, you know, creativity has offered me this fantastically pure, uh, an elegant way to turn minuses into pluses. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. I, 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 that's what, that's what's always, that's what's always appealed to me about music. However, I, I should note that that's, that's my attitude. I play in a band with people and, I can't force that idea on them because that's that's not the way that they feel. So, well, I think I think what's becoming interesting about this band is, is that we balance some very seemingly contradictory things with one another. Like, you know, for instance, Sebastian, our drummer, his his attitude is it's so psyched and so up that it's it's just a it's a good. Uh, you know, it's a good counterpoint to his up is a good counterpoint to my down. And that's what makes, you know, that's what makes our music celebratory in the face of adversity. And that's what allows me to more uh, efficiently take, you know, take the, the, take these dark things and shed some light on them in a way that uh, that is both cathartic for me as the artist, but, but also I, I found, becomes uh, an easy. It's it's almost like a conversation starter for a for for a conversation that's never spoken. Uh, So you know our audience picks up on that that sort of stuff and they respond to that. And they you know I think if we if we've written a a good song, people find themselves in in the story or in the you know in the poetry. They they see they see or feel or respond to something emotional uh, that's that I'm putting out there. Um, and I try not to be overly specific about it because, because I don't want to, I don't want to paint their experience, uh, that, you know, that, that can be helpful in a way. I've, I've, you know, I've found music be in, incredibly rehabilitative to me, not just my own, but, you know, more specifically uh, other artists who's, you know, who I, whose work reminds me of my experience and allows me to think about it in a more. Meaningful and 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 deep seated way, and it's you know I feel it's it's humbling to have heard uh, some feedback from from our fans that that leads me to think that they're having a similar experience with our music, and it's it's re, it's it's reassuring in a way. I don't you know I'm not placing all my money on that. You know that, that'd be that'd be kind of presumptuous. But again, at the end of the day, I'm just writing like I, I think this band's duty is write music that that pushes forward that has elements of, uh, or, or aspects that, that are, they're brand new idiosyncratic, you know, it's gotta be us. And the more fluid we become as musicians, the more, uh, the more obligatory or the greater the obligation for us to, uh, you know, to dig in deeper and tell a more genuine story in greater earnest with more passion and vigor. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really fun. It is really fun to do. It's really tough to do, but it's also kind of tricky sometimes because I'm putting a lot of myself out there and I don't want to be drained at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the album, I don't want to think that I've given so much psychic energy away or so much emotional energy away that, that, that I'm, that I'm spent, you know, um, which is why I, I appreciate the, the aspects of our music that, that, you know, push it up. Because you know, I, I mean, I'm not even. I'm serious. Like every night, I play these songs. I'm just, it's, I'm just like, yeah, you're done crying through them. Right? Yeah. yeah I'm, 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 I'm putting everything I have into them because I mean them. They, they're, they're, they're vastly important songs to me. It doesn't. That doesn't mean they need to be important to anybody else. You know, they can be fun to some people. They can be. It can be just like, yeah, good, good, like rock and roll time or like awesome experiments in sound. But to me, you know, there's, there's substance behind these things and working that out every night is, it's not easy, but it does, it does help me. You know, it does, it does offer that, that therapy that I need. So it's creative, it's therapeutic, it's communicative. It allows me as somebody with social anxieties to, you know, to deal with lots of people all at the same time and, and to, you know, create communal experiences. I get to travel, I get to, you know, all sorts of stuff and it rules to be in a band, right. but it's not easy
2: no yeah yeah it's a it, it definitely is uh the the concept of work uh because obviously a lot of people exist in the sort of you know peter pan lifestyle of you know touring and like you know touring is a suspended state of animation like anybody that's done it for a prolonged period of time knows that they're not participating in real life they're participating in this you know sort of alternate route that you know you can tap into it occasionally um and that's where you kind of to your point that's where you get the kind of creative energy in order to be able to write about other experiences rather than like because you know clearly Baroness has never written a record about tour per se, you know, it's not like the, Oh, it's rough being on the road, you know? And so I think to your point, it's, it it is one of those things where you you don't want to be this uh, self-serving band that is uh, speaking about really singular experiences that, um, you know, people can sort of understand, but uh, yeah, you're you're trying to root this in a much more emotional place.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, like reconciling with the fact that we don't, you know, our agenda is what is an emotional one, you know, and our, you know, our output comes off as impassioned and, and, and emotional. You right. know, this is not something, this is what I've learned, um, from the other members of my band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, cause I, I don't know, maybe I'm just, you know, I was too blind to see that, that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm just sort of rehashing what they, what they told me, but I, I see the value in it now. And I've had to, as I, like I said, I've had to reconcile with it. I've had to become comfortable with it. Yep. I've had to, you know, like, I got to a point where it was important for me to understand what we were. And I couldn't tell you, I couldn't have told you what we were. And when, you know, after this, you know, horrifying thing in 2012 where the bus went off the cliff and I got all broken up all badly like that. Um, you know we we were forced to get a new rhythm section so so Sebastian Thompson and Nick Joe the band, and as they were joining the you know and these guys weren't the, the the interesting thing about them is they weren't prior fans, Seb knew who we were I, and, and I think Nick Nick had maybe heard of us, but they were this was it was like the community of musician friends that that allowed me access to to these guys, and they joined and they were such important additions and important such important people in my life now but it was through them through essentially non-fans who are joining a group and then inserting themselves and then, and then adopting the group as it, as their family. It took, it took their evaluation of what was, you know, what made our band special to really allow, you know, to really give me that insight in a, in a realistic way where, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't need, it wasn't like, I, I didn't need a pat on the back. I wasn't asking what, what was great. You know, I, was, I wasn't like, Oh, tell me what's great about parents. I didn't know. I just didn't know. I didn't know. I, I've always considered myself sort of just, you know, kind of lucky or tenacious, like maybe tenacious and lucky, equal parts lucky and tenacious, but also extremely unlucky in some ways. I think it's a I've got maybe the best, worst luck
2: that I know of.
3: <laughs> sure, and, sure. And so, you know, I was was so like, you know, when we were reforming the band, I was, I was really like in a confused, frustrated, uh, sort of isolated and lonely place. And I didn't know really how to proceed. And, you know, they, they were very blunt and honest and, you know, in what they heard in our band that, that was appealing to them, you know, as they, after they had toured with us and after we started writing, and that was eye opening for me. And I, I understood that, you know, the emotional content was important. And right. that I was maybe misplacing my value on things like technique or volume or like, you know, being intense. That's right. uh, and there was just, a, there was a, like actually a different type of intensity that was was actually what people were, you know, responding to that I just didn't know because, you know... As self-aware as we try to be, sometimes we, we skip the big things.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah, you're like,
0: well, this works for me, so of course it can work for everybody. No. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions.
2: Support for today's show also comes from Pet Relief. They make all-natural USDA-certified organic CBD products for pets using full-spectrum CBD hemp oil that is grown and extracted in Colorado. So they offer a ton of products that have something to assist a range of ailments such as hip and joint pain, inflammation, situational anxiety, and more for your pets. They also offer oils for both cats and dogs that are made with only two ingredients— Full spectrum CBD hemp oil and organic coconut oil. Their supplements are all handmade and baked with human-grade organic ingredients that have been sourced from farms across the United States. Not to mention, all their products are third-party tested in an effort to be completely transparent. I got some of this stuff, and I have been using it with my I don't know, 13, 14 year old pup, Callie. Um, you know, she's 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 an old dog, and she's got a lot of hip pains. And uh, I've been noticing it's been, you know, helping a bit. So I I highly encourage this product to test it out on whatever situation your pet is encountering. So go over to PetRelief.com and enter the promo code WORDS to get 10% off your order. That's PetRelief, R-E-L-E-A-F.com, offer code WORDS to get 10% off. This stuff's great. Check it out. The, the idea I mean primarily on the fact that you know you have built your yourself up uh you know as an artist as well, and you know clearly you know do a lot of projects for a lot of different people um and you know the band is is clearly one of them, the collision of art and commerce where you start to have to reconcile with the fact that um okay, like you know I need to know like what to charge for my pieces of art and I need to know what um you know my band is worth a night and like all these things that you know are just kind of they're, they're not only are they important, but they're byproducts of the idea of just being creative. Um, you know, was that, was that, and has that been kind of a difficult world for you to sort of like navigate and understand? Cause usually people that kind of sit in the uh, solely creative world, you know, don't have any desire from a business perspective to like, you know, I mean, you learn basic stuff, but you're like, well, yeah, if I could ignore that, then that would be better. Um, how has that evolved for you over time? Or have you always just been like, well, well yeah.
3: Uh, you know, um, I I would like to I, I don't know pull pull poll a couple people that I know and the, maybe they give you different <laughs> answers. I, sure. I I don't. I honestly, honestly, I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to think that I've always been pretty realistic and and uh, and to a certain degree self aware because I, I mean I I know I'm I know I'm a little crazy. I know that I know that I work a lot. I know that I'm neurotic. I know that I get. Compulsive and obsessive about things. I know these things about myself. I know I'm difficult to work with in some ways because of that. and I also know i'm I'm also you know, I'm also the sort of person i don't I just don't believe in like false humility. like I, I i am I humble myself in a genuine way about genuine things, but i but I'm like, oh no, this, this record's no good. So no, I think our recent record is actually quite good. Um, but to, to the point, or back to your point about like self-evaluation <clears throat> from, from that more, but from that, uh, potentially, uh, uncomfortable standpoint, you know, I, I, I'm psyched when somebody tells me realistically what we are and how nobody's hurt, you know, I was, I was excited and thankful for everybody that ever shot me straight in a a way that could have been hurtful to somebody with a more sensitive, uh, sense of themselves. And in fact, you know, when, you know, when we, let me me back up a second, but I say that I only, you know, we, we did everything ourselves until we could no longer do things ourselves. I wasn't that presumptuous, but, and I only ever hired the next you know, the next stage in our, uh, you know, our, our expanding, uh, team when we were like, really when we just crossed the line and we really needed it 10 minutes ago, like that was always my method. is like, okay. At the time when we make the first genuine mistake that, you know, that would have been helped if we'd had, you know, a booking agent or a tour manager or, or whatever, that's the time when you get that person. Um, cause you don't want to make that mistake again. Sure. Yeah. Like maybe I'm obsessed with making mistakes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but everybody, I would, I, w- I had this thing where I would hire people. I would only hire the people who told me the, the side of the, the side of what we were that I didn't want to hear. and, and that was the, that's the money that's the vast minority of people who you know who are trying to get you to hire them. It doesn't make sense, you know, really, if you're trying to get if you're trying to get a band as a client, you you don't. It doesn't really sound like a sensible idea to call them up and tell them that nobody's heard of them or that they're not worth anything. But when somebody told me that, you know, as long and and seemed to know what the hell they were talking about, and you know, I connected with and seemed like like a sort of good person I could get along with. Those are the people that I hired. I hired our booking agent because he said nobody, nobody's knows who you are because you're not playing the right shows. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, fair enough. And he's like, and you're not worth anything. Right? You're like, so okay. Good I'm not enough. Gonna, you know, so so you're gonna we're gonna have to work. We're gonna have to work for it. And I was like, perfect. This that's so much easier on my ears than you know the like long white limousine thing, you know, Wayne's World, Mr. Big smoking the cigar. Right. Like I don't want that. And so so that became my hiring policy for a long time. It was just like people who were able to give me the tough truth. Speak truth to power. Not that I was power, but you know, that's the term we use all the time now. Um yeah, I mean that was, those those are was how I, I hire that's how I've hired people. People who give me that information. I'm so comfortable with it because i don't i work best when i've got a fire under my ass i work best in high stress environments i work best when i got something to prove and we've always had something to prove and we've never been the biggest or the best or the most highly paid band so yeah so so cool we don't have to maintain that all we have to do is grow
2: yep totally yeah that's (laughs) that that's the thing um I know because uh, you, we have a, a heart out based on this. Uh, I'll just ask you this one last question. Um, you know, kind of touching on what you were saying when, you know, I mean, clearly uh, it's been a well-documented, you know, your accident, your feelings on it and, you know, everything that kind of shifted for you as a person. Um, you know, I, right. I imagine that, you know, and you actually mentioned this earlier, which I, I was glad I wasn't reading too far into the scenario that, you know, when you're healing, um, you know, regardless of what you've gone through from a traumatic experience, uh, a lot of it can feel very isolating because whether it's like your body is broken or your spirit is broken, those are both isolating things and you were trying to get yourself back to it, um, you know, yeah. how, I guess, how did you sort of retain the connectivity, um, not only to, you know, the, the fact that people were, you know, rooting for you and wanting Baroness to still exist, uh, but then also just like, you know, the, the people that you had from, uh, you know, your day-to-day life, Um, how did you kind of, I guess, retain those bonds or was it mostly from the outside where people were really pushing themselves to be a part of your life? How did that all transpire?
3: I mean, I just think it took work. It took work. I realized, you know, I realized, you realize when you're, you know, when you're in situations like that, that uh, there's a potential for pity to take over, or for that situation to define you. And in some ways, you know, using that as a definition point would have been simple because it would have been easy to get press, and easy to market, and easy to capitalize on. And I really didn't want that to define me, so I recognized that I, while I could neither ignore it, neither could I bank on it. And so I had to, I had to take that, I had to take that, you know, well, maybe it's not half full and maybe it's not half empty. Maybe it's just half. And that's, that's where I was like, right in the middle. And I don't, you know, I wasn't willing to let, I wasn't willing to let something like that get the better of me one way or the other. And so we just put work you know, you just put work in, you'd be, you know, like it just, just took a, you know, an uptick in level of honesty and, uh, and humility and, you know, being able to admit to people, you, you know, you needed, you need them, you need their help. And they meant a lot to you. And, uh, you know, actually that's all kind of good stuff. So, you right. know, once I, once I had got once I'd gotten to that, you know, once I realized how important that was, how valuable that was, uh, you know, then the, those relationships became clear again. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't concerned or I wasn't, worried or in doubt about, you know, people's intentions, because it's, you know, there are, you know, there were ways that I went about it, you know, like talking to people and, uh, you know, moving through the next couple of years of my life that uh, forced people to prove to me that they weren't doing things out you know, out of pity or, um, you know, out of, you know, just out of concern is like, okay, well, we'll just keep John active because that, you know, he's Already halfway crazy, and you know, don't don't want to push him over the edge by ignoring him. So, I I try to be you know, it's just just being you know, it's really like you know, everybody talks about it, you just got to be honest. It's just about being open and honest, and uh, you know, making sure that you don't you surround yourself with good people who care who don't you know who are who care about you and and who care about uh, you know, like when it came to the band, like guys who care about music, they didn't. Care about the sensational part of that story. They, they you know, the new guys in the band were—they just want to play music, and they didn't see me as like a, you know, like some like weakened person. They saw me as somebody who was trying to, you know, trying so hard to push through it. That yeah, fuck yeah, like who cares about you know? He's in a wheelchair and you know, arm barely works at that at that point. It's like this guys going for it. I would like to see. I'd like to think that it was that way. And then. You know, then the relationship we're pure and, you know, we don't talk, as a band, we, we never talk about it. Yep. That's the last thing we talk about. Totally. You know, it's something that the press talks about it and, you know, I have, to, I have to bring it up, but I'm not uncomfortable doing that because I don't, again, I don't focus on it. Yep. It's, I'd like to think that we have done, we have operated in such a way that, that the, you know, the potential that that accident had to define our career has has only done so in the way that it, it needed to and no more. Yep. Uh, and it will not be it will not be the only thing that people remember because we actually have some decent music to uh you know push us through that yeah
2: no for sure and to your point it's the process behind it you know it, it, it you mm-hmm. rev, you revel in it from the I mean you don't want to put yourself through certain processes but you know when you can actually just focus on this sort of step-by-step scenario then like you said you come out um, you know not only a stronger person but you uh, you know a stronger piece of art like all of these things exist um, rather than you know, rather than just being like, "Oh, I'm overwhelmed by it," it's like, "Well, no, it's a process." So that's just, yeah, it's it, it's cool. I, yeah, I, but, I, I but, like I like hearing it. Part,
3: part of that process is 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 like, you know, putting you know putting a light on that thing that you know that has the power over you that that for you know that has the potential to cause fear or anxiety or undue stress or, on you know. Uh, like unwarranted depression and stuff like that and saying, okay, this is a thing that has power over me. I'm going to talk about it so that I, so that I'm giving away that, you know, that quiet un unseen power. I'm going to talk about it enough, but I'm not going to focus on it. Totally. I'm talk yeah. about it as much as I, as much as I talk about it, other important things that happened. Cause it was important. Yep. It just wasn't the only important thing that happened that year.
2: No, Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the punctuation mark. This is a comma. It's like, that's, that's
3: all we're really doing here. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. It was a, it was a comma. It was a, um, it was a comma that I wish, you know, I wish the sentence was short right. enough that it didn't need it <laughs> know, totally, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, no, I totally understand. If, you go, if I, you know, if I could go back and take it away, I would take it away. Yeah. yes, yep. yes yep. I would, I would I would have done something differently that day, but that wasn't the way it panned out. Uh, you know, I got dealt that hand, so I'm playing it.
2: Totally. Totally understand where you're coming from. So, well, I'll, I'll let you go, but I, I could talk to you for a while, but I really appreciate uh, all of your time and all your insight and frankly, all your music. Cause uh, yeah, I really, really uh, have been a fan for a long time. So yeah. Thanks for letting me pick your brain, dude. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
2: All right. How great was that chat with John? He, um, it was really intense. He's an intense dude. But uh I had forty five minutes with him, so I was like, I'm gonna make this count and he was there for it. I just uh you know, sometimes when people are in the middle of like a huge press run, sometimes it takes them, you know, a good ten to fifteen minutes to kind of warm up to the idea of what a podcast is, but he was like ready from the get go. There was like <laughs> there's I think there was like five words exchanged before I started recording. I was just like, hey, man, nice to meet you. I'm a really big fan of your band. And he was like, thanks. And we just dove right into it. So thank you very much, John. Thank you very much, Monica, for hooking this interview up. And thank you to you, the listener, as always, because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd be doing this thing if there were only four of you listening, but there are way more than four of you listening. So, And thank you very much to Doom and Plume for the song, and we will continue to feature that for many, many months and weeks and years to come. And uh, next week, I have a great chat with Lance Wells. He's the vocalist from a band called Faded Gray from Vegas. I had the chat with him, uh, it was probably about a month or so ago, I was out in Vegas, and hung out with him at his house, and it was a really, really fun discussion. So, happy 7th anniversary of the show, and hopefully I'll be able to do this for another 7, 10, 20, 30 years, and then uh, maybe I'll hand the microphone over to my son and he can start talking about music. (laughs) Oh man, that's great. Well... Until next week, please be safe, everybody. Special shout out to Sonos.com, the best speaker that I have ever encountered. You need to go to their website, check out all of their offerings. You can listen to different music around the house. It is a superior listening experience and, frankly, has changed the way that I listen to music. So why would you not do that? Go to Sonos.com, check out all of what they have, and thank you, Sonos. Special shout-out to Drip Drop, which is an electrolyte powder developed by a doctor to treat dehydration. It has three times the electrolytes and half the sugar of sports drinks. It tastes amazing. Do it before a workout. Do it after a workout. Do it after a sauna. Whenever you are feeling dehydrated, use it. So go to DripDrop.com and use the code WORDS to get 20% off any purchase. That's DripDrop.com and use the code WORDS. Thank you, Drip Drop. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.
0: Shh. Hi there, I'm Zach Raff And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. Twenty years
1: later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time,